What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This is Faraz Siddiqui. I'm here with Joe Volpe once again. Got hey man, we're we're doing this every week. I'm so impressed <laughs> with us and everybody who's listening. I hope they're impressed too. All five of you guys. <laughs> all, also, all six of them. I think there's six. Oh, that's true. Six. We got we have six. six. That's true. I think we have six listeners. Me, <laughs> you, and four others. So I think we're good. It we have good. a special guest today, Jason Aponte. He's Welcome, actually our Jason. sixth listener. <laughs> Welcome, Jason, to the What's podcast. Up? What's up, guys? <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, not... I've been a listener, so that doesn't count, right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, you've been on the podcast before as well. So, so welcome back. Uh, Jason is going to help us out. Uh, he was at the senior bowl last week. Um, he was rubbing shoulders with the right people. He was, he was watching all the prospects, watching the practices, watching the game, exclusive access. And then we have Joe over here. Yes. Asking players questions during Super Bowl media week. Yes. which is awesome. You were able to ask Antonio Brown a question, Antoine Winfield a question, Nicole Hartman a question today. So uh, I'm just, I'm just, I kind of feel left out here a little bit, guys, honestly. <laughs> like, like you guys, you know, we're off, you know, in media land, you know, rubbing shoulders, talking to players. I mean, you guys like were living the life this week. To be fair, last year you did hook it up with the uh, the Jets uh, family. We were family, Jets family last year on the sidelines during their practice. True. Pierre True. Garçon. So no, Pierre Garçon. What was his name? Uh, it, uh, who on, asked man. us where the garbage was? Come on, man. It's family. It's family. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I totally yeah, forgot. Like, oh, I, I, that's so messed up. That's so messed up. This, I, I hope... Yeah, this is something I don't remember what his name was. Anyway, so so there were a couple of coaching changes, and we want to talk about those last week. If you listened, we talked about we talked. It was part two of our coaching carousel, the offensive coaching carousel. A bunch of jobs were taken. We went over uh, a bunch of offensive coaching hires, all the tendencies, which players uh, would benefit or, or not benefit from those situations. Uh, so we had a part two and a part a part one and a part two over the past two weeks. So go check that out if you're interested. Uh, there were a couple of moves left. I think the Dolphins had an offensive coordinator, coordinator vacancy. Uh, Minnesota still, by the way, has an offensive coordinator vacancy, but we do have a clue as to who that might be. Um, and then there was one more. Uh, do you guys remember who it was? Um, it was the Titans. The Titans offensive coordinator um, vacancy there. So let's get right into it, guys. We're going to go over a couple of coaching changes real quick. Uh, just spoiler alert. We're not, you know, there isn't much we can really get out of those coaching, coaching changes, to be honest. Uh, and then we're going to get right into the senior bowl stuff and a couple of players who stood out in the senior bowl and, you know, guys who we might want to look at when it comes to fantasy. Um, so we're going to give a little sneak peek as to, you know, who stood out, uh, who stood out there. So, Let's start with the Titans. Uh, Todd Todd Downing. Who? Todd Downing. He's going to be the Titans offensive coordinator and play caller. Uh, he got promoted. He was a tight end coach for the Titans previously. Uh, he didn't have the most amazing year. Sorry, Joe. What's up? So it was Arthur Smith, right? He was promoted from the tight end coach to being offensive coordinator. That That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, now, this guy, he was an offensive coordinator one time before oh, okay. with the Raiders. Uh, but Derek Carr was coming back from an injury that year. So maybe you give him, give him the benefit of that. I don't know. But 
Mike Vrabel did say that the offensive system is going to remain in place. Why would you change it? The play calling might be worse because we know how, you know, creative Arthur Smith was at times. Um, but, you know, the offense will obviously still be revolved around Derrick Henry, uh, AJ Brown, still someone obviously we should be looking at early in drafts, uh, especially with Corey Davis leaving in free agency. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not much to take out of the Titan situation, right? I mean, no, really. I mean, honestly, the only thing that I could really think of is that, yeah, like you said, the play calling is going to be in, in play. I mean, the play designs are going to be in place, right? Like many, much of what Arthur, uh, Arthur Brown, right? Arthur, Arthur Smith. Smith. Arthur yeah. Smith, sorry. Much of what Arthur Smith does is Shanahan revolved, you know, um, so you'll see the same sort of thing. And it's all the setup to play action, you know, like last year, Ryan Tannehill, what is it, the 26th best pass blocking win rate, but he was second in EPA, um, you know, so, you know, all of that comes from the play action. I wouldn't suspect much change, you know, if, if you know, this feels like nothing, right? But, you know, the, you know for, for purposes of wins and losses, the Titans may take a step back. As far as fantasy goes, which is what we're here for, I really wouldn't be too worried about, you know, like I, like I wouldn't say, oh, no, should we not draft A.J. Brown, you know, because, nah, you know, I wouldn't really worry about that. But, I mean, it's a good it's a good thing to hear that the same sort of system is going to be in there so you know at least what to expect and we have something that we can, you know, direct that towards. And I think what's really interesting with A.J. Brown specifically is that he basically played last season with no knees. I mean, they told him week two that you need to have season-ending knee surgery, and he's like, no, I'm just going to I'm just going to play through it. So uh, a completely healthy A.J. Brown without Corey Davis, no matter what this offensive coordinator situation looks like, just I, I think he's going to explode. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to have two knees Brown next year for sure. He uh, had no knees my, last year? My goodness. <laughs> God help the league. No, no knees Brown. Uh, my, sorry. Uh, so Miami, uh, they're going with a, a different type of approach, a collaborative approach. Uh, they're promoting their running back coach, Eric Studsville, Studsville, mm-hmm. uh, and their quarterback tight end coach, George Gazi, to be their co-offensive coordinators. Nice. Uh, exactly what we love right, for fantasy, right? Just so that we can really figure this out. Uh, who's going to call the plays? Who knows? Uh, but they said it's going to be a collaborative effort. Um, so, Jay, I don't know if you saw this, but these guys were co-offensive coordinators for Brian Flores at the Senior Bowl. Okay. Yes, they were. That's what I was going to point out to you is that, you know, because the Dolphins and the Panthers groups were there, you know, we got a chance to take a look at them. You know, I don't want to attribute any sort of blame towards them because, you know, you know, as we'll get into the quarterback play over the weekend, the whole week was just putrid. It stinks to say that, but for the senior bowl to have that sort of quarterback play, I'm not going to put that blame on them. Right. You know, because those guys weren't playing well. And especially like when, when Ian Book got on the field, things just, man, things just spiraled, you know, like as far as offenses go. Like it, it was fun to be there. But if you were watching at home, ooh, man, those first two quarters were probably hard to get through. I could actually like I, I couldn't imagine actually sitting there and like being like, what am I watching right now at this point? <laughs> um, yeah. So Florida, he actually had these two guys call the plays um, at the Senior Bowl. And, and it seems like Flores liked that so much that he decided to put them in the same position in Miami as well. After the oh, senior bowl's over, they're like, wow, guys, you did such a good job at the senior bowl. I like how you guys work together. We're going to make this happen in Miami, which is hilarious to me. Um, but I mean, if Brian Flores is a good coach, it seems like he's a good coach to me, uh, but it's just, he's just doing things differently. Right. Uh, I think there's not much we can take out of this in terms of what type of schemes they're going to be drawing up this year. Uh, it, it's, it's a wait and see to me. 
I will say that um, with Studsville, that he did get a lot of production out of those running backs. Um, Miles Gaskin, who a lot of people seem to have forgotten, being a seventh-round pick in 2019, he had a great year. And then on top of that, when needed, uh, Savan Ahmed came in, and he played really well. Even DeAndre Washington, when he needed to, he came in, he did his job. Um, Everybody except Jordan Howard and uh, Matt Breida essentially just – did pretty well. So uh, if that's any testament to Studsville as a coach, then I think that's, I guess, a little glimmer of hope. But again, we, we just don't know what the scheme is going to look like. So there's not really too much else we can add to that. No, I think that's a good point. And, and as a Brown dude, I really appreciated how you pronounce Ahmed. I mean, that was very like, that was, that was super cool of you. It's, it's cool. But you know what? Cool it's because um, I, I can't, I don't know where I saw the interview. Um, oh, it was on Twitter. Um, someone was talking to Patrick Laird. You know, uh, Pete Overzet, how he's always talking yeah. to Pat, about Patrick That's his guy. Laird. That's right. his guy. And um, he asked Laird, he asked Laird how to pronounce his name. And Laird said, Savan Ahmed. So uh, okay, okay. Nice, that's how nice, I knew to nice. pronounce it right. Well, I'm glad you picked up on that. <laughs> that was good. Uh, so the only offensive coordinator job left right now is the Vikings position. Uh, and, and while nothing is official just yet, Justin Jefferson – said that he thinks that Clint Kubiak, who is Gary Kubiak's son, will come in and do the same or even better. That's what he said, quote unquote. Now, Jefferson doesn't want this offense to change, right? It gave him room. <laughs> it gave him a, a playground where he was able to break that rookie receiving record. Uh, but we'll see. You know, if that happens, uh, we don't have much to talk about because it'll be the same offense um, in, ter- in terms of schemes and tendencies as we saw last season. And if he's anything like his father, you know what I mean? Like this is a, an offense. Gary Kubiak has historically, you know, put up pretty good offenses, right? Uh, regardless of who, who his quarterbacks were. I mean, he has he had good quarterbacks too, good offenses, good players. But at the same time, he was able to dial up some some pretty pretty inspiring schemes over the years. And you know, the Kubiak offense and the Shanahan offense basically tied at the hip a little bit. Uh, but but you know, we're gonna see uh, these two offenses slowly permeate throughout the entire NFL at some point. 2021 the year of the Michael LaFleur and Clint Kubiak who would have thought <laughs> yeah I mean it's, right. so, it's it's so crazy I think it's going to be up to about 10 teams next year that are going to be running that same exact offense you know oh, and it's we were just, talking yeah. about that when we were doing all the reviews I'm like another Shanahan based offensive coordinator another Shanahan based offensive coordinator like every single one of these guys that's my it's coach amazing. man only Shans <laughs> only Shans only Shans oh, Shans.com all right you know who whose only chance I would subscribe to? Okay. Yeah. I mean the Jets head coach, baby. Come on. Robert Sala, that head, man. Give it that bald head, give it to me, man. <laughs> oh god. No, I'm so happy, honestly, man. Like honestly, not even joking, man. Like, you know, you know, you were one of the first ones to reach out. Obviously, we live in Jersey, so people, you know, being me being a 49ers guy. They asked me, you know, what do they think about the deal? And I was like, dude, congrats. Just congrats. You'll see right away. You know, even, even if you win six or seven games next year, you're going to see a complete change in how hard guys are playing, how guys are understanding things. And that's what you want to see. And you should be happy, man. The way he in, – in, I don't know if you should put all this stock into it, but watch his press conference, watch Dan Campbell's, and watch the guy from Phillies and just know how good, how much you're in good hands at this point. You could <laughs> be in worse hands at this point. Listen, man, I, I can't – like – those two press conferences that the first of all i thought dan campbell's press conference was was bad and then you go over to philly and you were like oh is this real 
is this real right now? Is this happening? I, I feel I felt like listen, I understand. Like I, I remember reading the comments, like, you know, when people posted that video uh of uh who is it, Nick Sirianni, right? Yeah. And um, you know, people were like, Hey man, he has a stuttering problem. And I'm like, that ain't no stuttering problem. Like I, I had a stuttering problem. I still have a little bit of it. And like, that's not what that is. This dude just doesn't know how to talk in public. That's all. <laughs> that's what it yeah. seems like to me. I mean, um, if he's, if he has a problem with public speaking, that's one thing, but you know, like usually when, when that's the case, I can still somewhat figure out what you meant. Right. And I don't know if I really got what he meant. You know, at least yeah. with Dan Campbell, I understood that you're just trying to say your team's going to be tough. You said a whole bunch of psychopathic stuff. But that basically meant that you're just going to say that this, the identity of this team is going to be tough. I got that part. With him, there was no sort of like, okay, I understand. Like, you know, like what you mean. Like, you know, we're going to put them. Yeah, yeah, we're going to put them and they're going to be good. (laughs) So, like, I didn't get that part. I was like, all right, how? Like, you know, like, tell me something. At least Dan Campbell is going to be, you know, yelling at his players and telling them they can't have water breaks and stuff like that. You know, I get that part. (laughs) But, like... This one, I'm not certain what's going to be happening in those practices. So, I mean, it's just a day in the life of these head coaches. Like, you know, sometimes you look and you say, you know what? Maybe I could be a head coach. All I really got to do is nail the interview. You know, I'm a personable guy. I'll tell you some stuff. I'll be like, hey, we're going to run some, we're going to run RPOs and play action. They'll be like, you know what? Hire this guy. You know, I mean, (laughs) I could certainly do a better job of public speaking than that. No, nobody beats uh, Adam Gase and his introductory press conference with the Jets. I mean, I don't know, man. Whose was whose was worse, Adam Gase Adam or Gase. Sirianni? I mean, like, what the hell was he doing? Yeah, I, I get it. There was so <laughs> many memes that came out of that. I get it, but yeah, I just like, you know, at least he was somewhat coherent when he was talking. <laughs> the issue I mean? is with Gase is him acting all aloof. Is he has a reputation to uphold? People think that he's you know whatever a quarterback whisperer, whatever it is. You know, this guy, I didn't really know anything about him. So, like, you're off on the wrong foot. Like, at least, you know, Gase had some sort of reputation, which is makes it it makes it a little weird for me because I'm just like, dude, why is it that you can't speak and you've been in this league doing this how long? You know what I mean? Uh, like, That was yeah. another point, too. He used to be a head coach also. So why can't he? Uh. Right. Yeah. All right. So, so Joe, you were credentialed today to talk yes. to some of the players in the Super Bowl. Uh, you were able to ask them a couple of questions. Uh, tell us how that went. Um, you know, honestly, it, it, it was great. It was a cool experience to sit there. Um, unfortunately, the company that I was working with or that I am working with, I'm interning for, um, they didn't, you know, they, they weren't a big name. So when it came to like Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, I was in the lobbies. I had my little hand raised with a little button, but, uh, you know, I'm not USA today or anything like that. So unfortunately I didn't get to speak to those guys. Um, I did get to speak to Antonio Brown. I think as we mentioned before, and McCole Hardman, and I got to ask a question for Antoine Winfield as well. So that was a really cool experience. Um, AB, I'll, I'll show the video, but he was kind of being a little dodgy. You know, people kept coming up with questions, and he'd be like, you know, it's a disservice to talk about anything else. I'm just focused on this game. He got asked about Le'Veon Bell. He asked, got asked about his background. He's like, I'm not focused on that. I'm just focused on this game. So I tried to bring a little bit of a different approach, but let's, uh, let's listen. Let's see how that went. So this is getting up. Let's see. It's a little in the beginning. That's a little embarrassing. The volume wasn't on. <laughs> hey, like, is right, we're going to go over to Joseph Volpe. Hey, Antonio, how you doing? How you doing? Good. So you had 
a chance to live with Tom Brady a little bit heading into the season. Now, when you were there, did you have the chance to try his avocado ice cream? That's top secret, man. I can't tell you. <laughs> so only the important stuff is what, is what I'm bringing to the Dude, table. Hard-hitting, hard-hitting journalism. Yes. I, I, I love it. I love it. It's good. Don't let him off the you know, hook. Make funny. sure he answers the tough questions. Exactly. And you want to know if he ate it. And, you know, he. I think I feel like he almost gave you the answer. But he, he didn't want to. He, he didn't want to betray. He didn't want to betray uh, no. Tom and Giselle. No. And so, I, I will say I had more enlightening conversations with uh, Nicole Hardman and Antoine Winfield. I, I kind of slept on asking Winfield a question. <laughs> I was like, how you doing? And he's like, good. How are you? And I'm like, okay, so how do you? <laughs> it's like when you're, it's like when you're at the restaurant, when they say like, uh, you know, uh, enjoy your meal. And by accident you say you too. Yeah. Or something like like that, you know? <laughs> it's the same thing. So, exactly. I was a little nervous, exactly. but I made it through. I had a good question for Hardman, but um, I don't have the videos on me right now, but what we can do is next episode, maybe I can share the Hardman one. I'm sure you'll see it on some of my socials by then, but it was a really cool experience. I do have access for all week. So maybe I'll go in tomorrow. Tom Brady's doing another presser, I believe at 1.30. So I'm going to try to make live, my live stream complete and speak to the God himself. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. For, for those who don't know, Joe is a big Patriots fan. Yeah. Uh, and and but but probably not anymore because Tom Brady's not on that team anymore. So probably not. Uh, no, because no, I think I for still... Joe's, I think for Tom Brady has been a Patriot longer than Joe has been alive. So I think uh, I can totally yeah. see him just being. Uh, is that is that true, Joe? I, I was in diapers when he started. <laughs> <laughs> that's got some crazy stuff right there. Man. Like imagine that. not having your team bad ever. Yeah. And then dude. imagine and then imagine your team always being bad and that's me or imagine your team can only get to the super bowl and just lose at the last second oh pain cool <laughs> i had i had that experience twice but you know. yeah but you had like six other ones you're fine <laughs> you'll be fine you're fine all right you're fine so let's get into uh, th- thank you for ex- thank you for uh uh you know thank i can't even talk right now man thank <laughs> you there's the for stutter. sharing <laughs> that's what a yeah. stutter. no that it's not even a stutter it's <laughs> i don't even know what i'm saying right now uh thank you for sharing that joe um so I, let's go into the senior bowl stuff now um and you know we do want to talk about these prospects how they looked and all that um now for the purpose of fantasy um i do want to say something when it comes to watching film when it comes to uh seeing how these guys are going to do at the next level, right? Because we see them in college and it's very hard to translate sometimes and say like, okay, he looks really good on film, but how does that translate? Do we know he's going to be successful in the NFL? And you know me, I'm a big numbers guy, right? And I do want to just emphasize my opinion on this. And and that is not, I I don't want to overemphasize film, but I do think it's important. Um, I think like what we see with our eyes, especially in one-on-ones, in senior bowl, et cetera, like what the, when the eye test matches the metrics, like that's when I'm in personally. And sometimes even if the eye test doesn't really like pass amazing metrics, I still lean on the metric side. Because if I see that a certain metric has some sort of correlation to fantasy success in the NFL, like I'm all about that, honestly. Um, so yeah, so uh, sometimes I see something on paper that, you know, translates into the NFL. 
Um, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm not going to be too concerned if someone has a poor showing in my untrained eyes, if, the, if that makes sense. So yeah. I'm not trying to downplay anybody who watches film. I watch it. It's very, it's fun, A. And B, like, I want to know what these guys look like on, 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 on film. I want to know what, the, the, what I think they're going to look like in the NFL. And so, I, yeah, go ahead. I think that's the important word there, film. Because a lot of people, when they're doing the research, they might look at highlights. But you want to make sure you're looking at the good and the bad. So you can look at the good and you can say, oh, you know, he does this well. He does this well. But, you know, at that point, you're going to have all these players ranked at the top and you're not going to know how to differentiate between any of those guys. And what I find is that the best guys just it's it's not even so much about what they do good. It's about what they don't do bad. So um, just all around players that seem to not have any missing points in their play style or. Um, you know, just in general, those are the best guys that you want to target in the top of the drafts. You know, what, yeah. I, what I love about film too, because, you know, this is a great discussion because I kind of lean, you know, the other way with Faraz, right? So like, like, like you said, metrics and film have to let match up, right? Like one can't, like you can't just take one for the other, in my opinion, right? So when the film and the metrics match up, it's like no more discussions at this point, right? Like, you know, for example, this has nothing to do with senior bowl, but for the last two years, what I found is that Kirk Cousins numbers match up exactly with what he's been doing on the field. Now we all know that Kirk Cousins is, you know, for, for regular football purposes, not it, right? And something that doesn't win Super Bowls, but I was very surprised with how he played, right? So if you go off reputation alone and you go off of how people look at him because he wears, you know, socks with thong sandals, you you would think, all right, this guy's a goofball. But man, all this matches up. He played really well in the metrics. So I love this discussion because I tend to give the tiebreaker to film, right? And and this is something that Faraz is going to laugh as soon as he hears his first name. Something that I've been pounding the table about with one particular player who I will never give up on, Curtis Samuel. You're not about to tell me that Curtis Samuel wasn't a 1,500-yard receiver, you know, two years ago. Just because he didn't catch the ball doesn't mean that he wasn't open by 15 yards, right? So that's what I mean about, like, you know, yes, it's not coming up in the box score, but I see a guy getting wide open all the time, and I'm going to take my chances on that, right? So it's an interesting discussion. You know, there's a lot of on Twitter discussion about straight-up film and straight-up metrics, right? Like, there's a big divide there, you know, and, and I love the discussion because I believe that they both go hand-in-hand. And it needs to be a little bit of both. It can't just be one or the other. It can't be straight film and it can't just be metrics at all. So, you know, that, that's what I really like about it. And then the, the part that I really enjoy about watching film is that every single play, there's 22 stories. And that's the best part. You know, you get to look at. So what I would tell anybody if you're watching film is just look at what you want to look at. Right. Like, look at what you're interested in. Like, I'm not interested in defensive line play. I watch wide receivers. I'm not interested in safety play I watch running backs and things like that so that's the best part about it is that you can pick and choose what you want to look at and and dissect it that way um and and the film unlocks unlimited discussion right because I see something you see something Joe sees something and we all have a good discussion about it and we bounce it off of each other so I really love that aspect of it that's why I keep going back to it now is it fun all the time no there's no sound it's not easy you're running back the same play three four times it's not easy there's nights where I'm up one three one two three in the morning and I'm just like, I want to go to sleep already, but like, I have to get this done, you know, but it is more fun than it is. As it is. And it's just, it creates a good discussion. I, I love that, that uh, way that you brought it in. Yeah. And um, I think one specific topic that you nailed is the wide receiver uh, position, right? When it comes to watching film, because, and I think uh, Matt Harmon is famous for this, right? In, in our world where he charts wide receivers and their route running. And, and with wide receivers, it's very, very important to see hey, like, did they win on that route? 
And I think that specific thing is very important when it comes to wide receivers. What is their success rate against man coverage? That's You're not going to get that through any sort of production stat, right? Because if A, the quarterback didn't throw him the ball, B, the quarterback sucks, those are things that are going to affect that wide receiver. And in Curtis Samuel's case, you, you mentioned him. It's a very good example because certain times, and Stefan Diggs, it happened in the past as well, like where these guys were winning on routes consistently and becoming some of the best route runners in the league, but they're not getting the production because they're not getting targeted. So these are all situations where you can say, okay, if they can get into a great situation, then we know they can separate and therefore they're going to get the ball. So that specific situation with wide receivers, I think is very key when it comes to watching film. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jason, um, first of all, what was the experience like at the senior bowl, like outside of the practices, outside of the game itself? I'm sure you were among a ton of interesting people out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're adults, but you know, this, this experience feels like something that we thought about when we were kids, like being able to walk in, they give you a media pass, they shove a recess in your pocket and they say, go stand over here. Well, when you start walking through, you look, you're like, Daniel Jeremiah. That's Andrew Siciliano. That's this guy, right? Like you can't say any of that stuff, you know, because you're supposed to be media, but how cool is that, right? Like, like I just kept walking around like a kid, like just like, how cool is this? Like, this is exactly what, you know, you, you dreamt of if you've ever tried to get into this, you know, even with what, you know, this is, you know, we do podcasting. This is it. We're all part of that same discussion, right? We're doing what we, we, we wanted to do when we were kids. So it's like, it was like a dream come true with that. You know, I, I hope that this is the first of many media thing, uh, media um, sporting events that I get to cover. But I mean, the, the electricity in the place also was a little bit higher just because with COVID, you know, everything has changed the scouting process. The senior bowl was going to be critical for a lot of people to boost their stock. Um, and for people who their stock has kind of dropped after the senior bowl, like for me, Mac Jones's stock dropped. That's why you didn't see him play on Sunday. He wasn't that good during the week. Don't let the media show you that one throw and don't let people tell you that he was great. The buzz around him was they were calling him meh Jones. Meh. He was in Alabama. His, his, his state, they're chanting. We want Mac. He didn't go out there. We got the word the night before because we're hanging out with, you know, some of your guys that you guys all see on the internet, I'm not going to like flex or anything like that, but they come to us and they say, Mac's not playing the one. And we're like, what? Mac didn't play because he was scared about dropping his stock. He'd rather everybody look at him as whatever he is, which is, I still think is too high than actually damage that. So um, I thought that was interesting. And I think that, that, that kind of defined the tone between the scouts and everybody who was there watching, because they had to keep a super eye on it. And they have to use this now as their, one of their primary, primary um you know scouting tools you know I, I thought that when I got into a Matt Rule press conference and I got to hear him talk about you know someone asked a beautiful question oh, about how to scout Jason? huh no I'm here no we're here I'm here. oh I, I I lost you guys for a second <laughs> no, how, how are we doing right now are we doing it right, no, right now yeah we're fine mm-hmm. oh okay because I lost you guys it's okay I'm sorry us. me and Anthony are having a great conversation all right I think we're so, great who's so, Anthony so, but okay cool Anthony I said Jay oh my god my so god. um so like we got into a Matt Rule press conference, right? And someone asked him the great question of how does scouting change now during COVID? And he said, you lose that personal touch. He goes, you can do the Zooms. We can watch the film and everything. And then he told a story about someone who was drafted very highly last year, got into an elevator with him. He said after the 35 seconds he spent in the elevator with that person, he immediately took him off his draft board because he realized that he's not a fit. 
that sort of personal touch wasn't there. So it puts more emphasis on this. Everybody is, all eyes are on this. That's why you saw guys say, you know what? Najee Harris doesn't need it, but I'm going to the senior ball and I'm going to practice one or two days. Devontae Smith doesn't need it. I'm going, you know, like th those are the things, right? So you get to see those things because now people want to boost their stocks and it was just more electric. It felt, it felt like, it felt like a different vibe. You know, I'd only watched the senior bowl from on TV, but this year felt different because there was so much at stake for, for a lot of these guys. And they had, the, this was their last chance to really boost their stock before the draft. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's interesting. So, uh, so we're going to have episodes, you know, coming up talking about all of the prospects, you know what I mean? All the top prospects. Uh, we only going to touch on a few of these senior bowl guys today. Um, Jay, I want to know like who your top risers were, like who, you know, guys who you think, you know, showed out and, and who was impressive. Obviously we're not going to talk about all these guys, all mm -hmm. the seniors, like we're not going to talk about Najee. We're not going to talk about, you know, um, any of these top guys. Devontae Smith um, is a lot. You don't have Smith. to worry about that. Yeah. But I do want to know who stood out to you, man. Michael and and who should we paying who should we paying attention to as far as fantasy goes as well? Michael Carter, man, um, from North Carolina. Look, Javante Williams is great because I had a, I had a scout there tell me he thinks that Javante Williams is the he's number one on his board that he's going to be the best running back and and it's interesting, right? Because that's what I love to talk with people about. Okay, talk to me. Why do you think that? Talk, he showed me a bunch of stuff on film and said this, this, and this, and then boom, I looked at it and I was like, you know what? You're changing my mind a little bit. I don't have him at one, but he's creeping up higher. Michael Carter did more than anybody did this weekend as far as when he won the balls in his hands. So I've never seen more spectacular two yard gains in my life. And what I mean by that is just because there's three guys in front of you, only one is going to bring him down. He is so elusive. As soon as somebody gets hands on him, it's like he was covered in grease. He was slipping right out of there, or he was just literally pushing people down or just shaking people with his feet. I don't think that the first person who got in his way was ever the tackler whenever he went down. He was incredible. And every time he touched the ball, it felt electric. It felt like he was going to bust one. And it felt like he was going to take it to the house. He scores a touchdown where he moves the pile from, I think it was like the seven yard line, like all the way into the end zone. And um, he just was impressive. Like, you know, in the media box, the first question that I asked people who are in media, okay, what's the etiquette? How do I act? He was like, don't cheer. Don't ooh, ah. Well, there were people ooing and ahhing in the media room whenever he got touched, they didn't touch the ball. Like, Guys who have been there before were like, whoa, did you see that? And Michael Carter did a ton for his draft stock. May not be a, a first rounder, I don't think. You know, you know, running backs, that doesn't happen. But I think that Michael Carter's pushed himself into the low second because everybody had him as a day three pick. He, uh, He's all the way up there now, I think, with that performance that he put on. Yeah, I think Javante Williams was going, you know, considerably ahead of him. Um, but, you know, there is a world where – uh, you know, a team might prefer to just to wait a little bit, you know, and get him. You know, he is – he potentially might be the more versatile back between the two guys too. I mean, you know, I was looking at the film with him and he made some impressive catches too. Like he, he – he, he, there was a specific game, I think it was against Wake Forest, where, you know, he was running these wheel routes. He was catching some balls deep. Um, he was making guys miss in the open field after catches. Um, NC State as well. Like NC State – there were a couple of plays against NC State where he was just breaking tackles left and right. Like he, there was one play where he broke three tackles, three three tacklers in a row. Not necessarily like breaking ankles, but like you said, like it's almost like you know his body's covered in butter, and and people just can't bring him down. So, is he versatile? I would say yes. Like he has shown some good plays in the passing game. 
Um, and, and I looked up his metrics. So he ranked top five in yards per route run uh, among all running backs in the nation with at least 30 targets. Um, he caught 20 balls in three straight years, which is a pretty good thing for a running back in college. Uh, he improved his yards per reception every year from his sophomore year to his senior year. So because of that versatility, I think he's someone, you know, in the right landing spot can be very interesting for fantasy, right? He's not the big name, right? But since he had a good senior bowl, you know, we might be looking at some team taking him in the second round, maybe, right? Like you said, opposed to the third or fourth where he was previously projected. So, you, you know, you know who he reminded me of a little bit. And I remember watching him last year, you know, and after watching uh, Michael Carter this year, he kind of reminds me of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire a little bit, you know, and just from the tape that I've seen last offseason on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, like uh, Edwards-Hilaire light type of, you know, he just a little bit more elusive than Edwards-Hilaire like was. Um, I like that But yeah, so Javante Williams, uh, by the way, Javante Williams was uh, pro football focus's number one graded running back for 2020. Um, and if you're wondering, Michael Carter was 10th. So um, yeah, but we're not talking about Javante today. Uh, I promise we will on future episodes, but we're talking about these seniors um, and Williams, um, you know, he he's foregoing his senior season to enter the draft uh, as he should after the year that he had. Yeah, I've seen some pretty long, lengthy Twitter threads of Javante Williams. Haven't seen much on Carter, but by the way you guys are describing, I think he's going to end up being a pretty decent. Uh, do, you, do you know his his uh, height and weight? He's That's a the knock. That's, that's the... He's a little guy. So that's the thing is that is that you can totally see that he, when he gets to the league, maybe they turn him into some sort of third down back, but he looked mm-hmm. good in between the tackles, right? So that's the thing, right? Like, it's just, I like the Edwards-Hilaire comp because he was fine running the ball for them, but he was doing a lot of damage in the passing game. And I think that's where Carter excels. And like I said, I posted a clip on Twitter. It was a two-yard gain. Seriously, two-yard gain. It was a throw. Like, he runs into the flat literally catches the ball. There's two guys in front of him. He shakes both of them, but the third guy comes in from, from the, the second level and takes him down. But that's what I mean. It's like, it looked like people were just chasing dust, like when they went to tackle him. So yeah, I mean, he, he was somebody that like, you know, again, I test, I was just like, you know, you ever, you ever go to a, like, if I want to go to a game where I don't know anybody's name and I want to be like, who's that? And that's exactly what he was doing. Every time he touched the ball, everybody was like, who is that? And then you can hear his family, like right in our area, they were the loudest. And, you know, we got a chance to talk with them after the game. And I pretty much, you know, selfishly, I was like, get Michael Carter into this Kyle Shanahan system and, and count up 1500 yards and, and <laughs> just sit back and prosper, you know? But yeah, I mean, he, he was incredible, man. And, and yeah, I hope so, with uh, these new, um, you know, with all the running backs that are, seem to be short, like Aaron Jones is 5'9". Michael Carter, I just looked it up, he's 5'8". So when it comes to like those tic-tac, ticky-tack things, I, I think Michael Carter, if he's in the right situation, as you guys are saying, he could end up being a really good value. Aaron, Aaron Jones is almost at the bare minimum. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? And like this dude is like 10 pounds lighter uh, and yeah. like an inch shorter. But yeah, no, I, I hear you. And the way that he runs, like, yeah. so the knock on him is that he's he's small, right? Yeah. But like if you look at all all the college running backs last year, Javante Williams, he was second among all of them in yards after contact per attempt. He had 157 carries last year. You know who else had 157 carries? Michael Carter. And uh, it's funny how they both split exactly the same number of carries. But um, he was third, right behind Williams, with 4.47 yards after contact per attempt. 
So these guys are right there. They're both breaking. They're both elusive, but in different ways, right? Javante is more that power guy, and Michael Carter is kind of making people miss a little bit. Uh, so both these guys are good running backs, and you know it looks like both of them are pretty versatile. Um, just like I said, Williams with more power, Carter with for more elusiveness. So we'll see. Uh, Williams might be projected as the more the better all around back just because of his size, um, but it'll be interesting to see like you know if if Michael Carter can get into a right the right situation in the, in the NFL. It'll also right, be so- interesting because remember Georgia Chubb and Sony, like it feels like almost something like that where both those guys will be in the league and you know so like that's what's going to be kind of cool about this this to see this play out right like I think you know Frost hit it on the head, you know Javante is going to be the one that probably has the safest floor. Michael Carter might be the one who has a little bit more ceiling because of how he is in the passing game, but his floor might be, you know, lowered because of, you know, physical attributes. So that's what makes this all interesting, man. Like I'm, I'm, I love to, I love to have these discussions and try to talk through it and then go back a year later and look and say, listen, this is where I was off. This is where I miscalculated. And I think that's what makes this whole draft season, senior bowl thing, something that I'm going to be doing every single year now for the, you know, since it's the first time I've done it because it's just so fun to discuss all this. Agreed, man. And it forces us to look at these prospects super early in the in the offseason, too, which I love. Um, all right. So who, who, who's your next guy? Man, um, you know, it's it's weird, right? Because like I just said, quarterback, running back, you know, um, did I did I say I was going to talk about Amari Rogers or was I going to talk about? Uh, let me see. Let well, me take a look so on. so there was the guys that you, you mentioned to me, uh, Dimitri Felton, right? Oh, he, he there you go. That, Perfect. That's who I was. Yep. Thank you for bringing that up. Sure. Perfect. Go for it. Last senior bowl, Antonio Gibson converts from a wide receiver to a running back. This year, Demetric Felton co- converts from a running back to a wide receiver, right? I don't want to say that that's easier for what Antonio Gibson did, but I'm going to say that anyway. It was easier for him to convert from a wide receiver to a running back, right? But it's harder for, to do what Felton is doing. And Felton was never covered, ever. Look, on one-on-ones, what I learned speaking with a scout was like, hey, how do I judge this? right? Because it seems like the, the cornerbacks lose almost all the time. And he said, yes, that's the, pro- that's the point. You put them out there on that island, they're at a disadvantage because the wide receiver and the quarterback know exactly what's going on and where you're going to be running. So you have to watch the first two, three steps of the rep to see how the cornerback did, right? Is he getting hands on him? Is he stopping him? Is he stopping him from his route? Nobody was touching Dimitri Felton. Nobody. The guy's thought, leaving people in. Again. I, I thought the same thing, man. Same exact. I, 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 so I'm glad that both of us saw the film. And those one-on-one practice reps, I saw the same exact thing. He was dominating. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and it's it's always like at the last moment, right? So like, you know, he he gets by his he gets by his defender and he gives a little jab with the left, and and the, the defender bites on the left so hard that he's just running in the other direction and Felton's already changed direction. He's wide, he's wide open. Super impressive for a running back to have that sort of route running acumen, you know, from that position and just be changed right there, man. Dimitri Felton is somebody that's gonna be a Swiss army knife. And something that people are going to have, you know, stashed on their team. And, you you know, he might not have gotten the crazy buzz. But, again, when I'm talking about, like, watching the game, watching the film and stuff like that, I'm like, who is that? Who is that? So, literally, in the game, um, you know, I, I, I post my obligatory Instagram picture, you know, trying to flex and say, look, I made it, whatever, cool. Somebody asked me, hey, who's your draft crush? And I typed out Demetri Felton. Two seconds after I typed that out, literally, he split out wide. Um, they throw a pass to him. He catches it. He shakes his defender and scores a touchdown. I immediately hit the person back, and it was like, immediately scores a touchdown. First, no, number one overall pick. Like, that's it. No, but I mean, <laughs> no, but I mean, it was just, it was crazy to see those things. And for him to be that good at running routes, it, 
it's scary to think that he he's going to be able to grow into that. Like he could become such a weapon out of the backfield, use wherever you can put him anywhere on the field and he causes a mismatch, man. He looked great this week. Dude. I, and, and trust me, me and Jay did not talk about this before at all, at all but I totally agree with something else you said. I really like his feet before he starts his route. Like that does it all. And, and you see really good wide receivers in the NFL do that, right? They start, before they get off on their route, they start on their feet and they go in that, their direction. And they already lost that corner. You saw what Devonta Adams has, was just doing over the past couple of weeks. I mean, <laughs> over the season, he just got better. It's crazy. Um, but who knows how he'll – to me, he's a wide receiver, man. The way he's running those routes, he's a wide receiver. Um, but who knows how he's going to be using the NFL, right? Uh, Curtis Samuel, right? Maybe, maybe, he, maybe a little bit of comp to Curtis Samuel. He was someone mm-hmm. – who was used in that tweener role last season, right? Um, that's how he was used in college as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see if a team uses Felton solely as a wide receiver or as a versatile running back wide receiver. To me personally, like if they put him out a wide receiver, I think he'll be fine. Um, you know, we, we, we don't see a lot of success with that hybrid role in the NFL. Like there's not that much of it, right? If they're good, then they would be a fantasy gold mine, but it's extremely rare, right? I think, He'll be a better NFL. If if, the, if that happens to him, I think he'll end up being a better NFL player than he will be a fantasy player, but we'll see. Um, unless he gets drafted by someone like Urban Meyer, right, or a coach that really wants that versatile running back wide receiver who's going to be using the passing game. Uh, no, wait a minute. Um, Is Schottenheimer the passing game um, yeah. uh, guy at Jacksonville now? Oh, yeah, he no. He is. He is. But – Listen, man, I, 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 I think that's a bad thing for sure because the cre- he was la- he lacked creativeness in Seattle. And we talked about this last week, Joe, on the podcast. But mm-hmm. it, I, this is going to be Urban Meyer's offense, right? Okay. And, and yes, Urban Meyer is not going to be calling the plays. But Shanahan is hopefully going to have a brand new playbook <laughs> to, to kind of call plays out from. And that's what I'm hoping for. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Um, but like you said, man, the way that he was running routes against these corners – I was super impressed out of any wide receiver. So I watched all of the wide receivers uh, run these routes against these one-on-one corners. I saw every practice route from all week. Uh, there's not that many, by the way, uh, but he, he was the most impressive out of every wide receiver that I see. Yep. I think it's really okay. interesting to see the evolution of the running back in terms of like pass catching over these last couple of years. I mean, Cordero Patterson, what even is he Lynn Bowden, with the upside that he offers Curtis Samuel being used as a running back a lot. Um, even Robert Woods, oddly enough, being used a lot as a runner. So it, it's kind of really interesting to see how this has evolved and how guys like who we're talking about now with Demetri Felton. And it, it, if a team can find out how to use them correctly, because I think Lynn Bowden towards the end of the year, kind of, you know, the kind of ends up getting like what he was good at and like manipulating those linebackers in the middle, using them in the slot. So, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what Felton does. And the fact that, like you guys are saying, he's a really good route runner at this point in time is only going to work so much more to his advantage. So definitely someone very interesting to keep an eye on. He's only going to go up, man. I would love to see him with a creative play caller, somebody who's going to line him up in the backfield, line him up at tight end, line him up at wide receiver. You know, like it's just, it's it's impossible to 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 quantify what it is that he can do for an offense when you watch him do what he did. You know, if he, if he still has, all he has to do is keep a little bit of what he did as a running back in his memory bank and that's it you know like he, he just looked great man there was a lot of buzz around him down there 
Yeah, and, and I think that if some people are, are viewing him as that tweener, then they assume that he can't do one or the other extremely well. And in his case, like, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, I'm going to say it again. Like, the way he was running routes was extremely impressive, especially for somebody who can consider to be a running back. All right, so let's go to the next guy. Uh, Kadarius Tony was somebody that you mentioned uh, out of Florida. Um, and, and, you know, one of his routes uh, was making the rounds on social media. So talk about what you saw out of him. So it's an interesting discussion, and I'll pose this to you, right? Would you rather have a wide receiver who catches a lot of 50-50 balls but has a guy draped all over him all the time? Or would you rather have a guy who is wide open and can get himself wide open but has issues with drops? I want the guy who gets wide open every time. Joey? Yeah. You know, it's it's almost like a 50-50 ball at that point. But probably even higher because if you have higher, a higher. contested catch as opposed to the guy who might drop it like three out of ten times you throw it to him, that's still technically 70%. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take the uh, the drops. Yeah, give me give me the guy who's getting himself open. You can te- you can stop drops from happening. You can yeah. stop drop and open up shop. Um, you know, like you can do all those three. You know, so I mean, my thing is is that I, I, I look. I just want a guy who's gonna be open, right? You're not gonna drop every single pass. You're not. It's not gonna happen, man. You know, and that route that this particular route that Faraz is talking about, the oohs and ahs from it in the crowd. The ooh, like this is a practice route. Completely leaves his guy in the dust, but he. F- drops the ball like he's the, the wide receiver in Little Giants. Like that was – it was that bad. But, again, you can teach that up. And give me the guy who can get himself open with footwork. You couldn't really press him. You couldn't – and he made some 50-50 ball catches. Like that was it. Like in the red, in the end zone, he went up and he ripped one away from somebody. And I was like, oh, my goodness, man. If this guy can consistently get his hands together and not drop the ball a ton, he's going to be great at the next level. And he could be somebody that, because of the drops, slides in this draft. And then next year we'll look back like – what the heck were we thinking letting this guy slide this far, you know, and how many teams passed on him? Like, I, I really think that much of him clean up the drops and you got a guy who can be impactful. I think on day one, because the route running, he was doing eight, he was making guys look silly, man. It was really bad. Yeah. I saw, I saw his one-on-ones man. And I wasn't like extremely impressed with it. I mean, it, he looked okay. He wasn't getting consistent separation. Um, the guy that he did like in that specific video that was circling the internet, uh, especially on Twitter. Uh, that was against Ambry Thomas, who didn't play in 2020 uh, because of the Big Ten's cancellation of the season. So, you know, he didn't play in a year, whatever. Like, I'm not going to take too much out of that. And that drop, I'm not going to take too much out of that drop either. The dude only dropped, like, three balls in his entire career. So, like, uh, you know, he's somebody who's usually shorthanded. You know what I mean? And it's funny because in these one-on-ones, that wasn't the only ball he dropped. I think he dropped three balls uh, in his one-on-ones, which is – Interesting. Uh, he dropped the yeah. same number of balls in like 10 reps than he did the entire season. Maybe he was nervous. I, I, I don't know what was going on there. I don't know. Sometimes um, it's too easy because that one that you're talking it's about, too easy. he was wide open. Like the guy wasn't even in the same city with him anymore, man. <laughs> no, I'll say this. I don't know if you heard this. Uh, by the way, was Todd McShay there? Did you see Todd McShay? Of course, right? Yeah, he was walking around. Yeah. So he said that he might have been banged up with a rib injury because he banged up into the goalpost on Tuesdays in Tuesday's practice. So he might have suffered a little bit of a rib injury that could have affected him for the rest of the week. So if that's the case, that can explain a lot. Um, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So so anyway, so going back, if you look at the numbers, um, he broke out at 21, right? And when you look at these college wide receivers, 21 is relatively late, 
right? Um, he ran 2.62 yards per route run, which is okay. 13th among wide receivers last year with at least 80 targets. He was mainly a slot wide receiver, okay? Uh, but he was one of the best slot wide receivers in the country. He, he was third in yards from the slot. He was third in yards per route run from the slot. Um, but I think I think the thing that makes him special is that once the ball is in his hands, there's no doubt that he can do his thing. Absolutely. And I, he, he's one of the guys who I actually did look up a little on. Um, I, I haven't gotten deep into my player uh, film and all that yet, but Kadarius Tony is someone that I did look at and one it's, it's one specific play uh, in a game against Old Miss where he, he gets the ball. It's, I, I can't remember if it was a jet sweep or a short pass, but essentially he's tripping. And then half a second later, he books it and he's straight down the field. It's like a 40, 50 yard gain. And that's just, I mean, the burst he has. And like you said, when he gets the ball in his hands, he does not go down on the first contact. So, um, you know, he, he's a lot of after the catch type guy. You, we, we talked about versatility with a lot of a lot of other of these guys. Uh, he, he did kick returns throughout the year as well. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned he can line up outside slot. I saw him running home with jet sweeps, backfield, whatever it might be. He can do it all. So um, if the drops is for us, you, you don't seem too worried about the drops. But, uh, you know, it's another thing to monitor him. If, if he really was dealing with an injury, that could have been it. But uh, do you guys think he's a first rounder? Or does that depend on the amount of wide receivers that are taken? Because I've seen a lot of mocks have him going to like Green Bay really late in the first round or some other things. But uh, I, I think for me, it depends on the amount of wide receivers that are taken first, because there's just a ton that are going to be well worth that first round pick. And I think that's a good point, you know, and then, you know, I think that that's why sometimes, you know, these exercises are cool in February, but we should re reevaluate again when we get to April. And I think we'll have a better idea where it shakes up as it, as it stands right now, he's probably a late first, early second, you know, just for the, all those reasons that we talked about, right. Ball in his hands, great, you know, good round runner. I felt like I saw him separating a bunch on there too. So, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I could see it. And the Packers, I think need to right their wrongs from last year. Um, you know, taking Jordan love and not taking, you know, whoever was on the board, anybody at that point, you know, instead of Jordan Love, you know, I, I think they have to write their wrongs and figure out what they're going to do at the, at the position. So I, I could totally see the Packers doing that to try to appease um, Aaron Rodgers because things aren't really good right now. Yeah. They could definitely use somebody who can get the ball in their hands quickly and make something, make a big play. I mean, they're just depending on guys getting open at this point. At least they have someone like Devontae. They have someone like Robert Tanyan, uh, you know, and MVS, you know, going deep and all that. Uh, but that's that, that's pretty much it. Um, so when you don't have to depend on guys separating and you can get something close to the line of scrimmage, you know that, that's that's what you want, right? Um, so another guy, slot wide receiver, um, you know, very close to um, uh, Kadarius Tony in terms of metrics, in terms of yards per route run, and all that, and slot uh, production was Amari Rogers, uh, somebody that you said that uh, stood out a little bit. Uh, yeah. at the senior bowl I was excited to watch him right you know um as a 49er fan when I went there I had to take off the blinders and stop scouting for the Niners I had to start just watching guys right but I envisioned him as the third receiver for the 49ers almost profiles like a smaller Debo I saw them run the exact same Debo jet sweep with him and I'm like look at that he looks like the same guy what I noticed is again remember what I was telling you about what the scouts told me about first two steps of a rep nobody could get hands on him nobody could ever jam him his releases were good my issue is, is that while he made some good 50-50 catches in practice, 
and he made some in the game. Like he looked, he looked really good in the senior ball. Right. And, and I had someone tell me, I don't think that he's a gamer because those 50, 50 balls don't usually go his way in the game. And, you know, and things like that, he actually, you know, balled out in this game. But what I noticed was, is that although he was having good release, because I loved it, whether it was inside releases, outside releases, it just felt like his, his corner was always catching up with him. Like he was still there. He was still on his hip. Right. So while he gets the first step, he did, he wasn't doing enough to get away. Now, does that mean that Amari Rogers can't play outside? I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm sure that if he gets a slot guy, you know, a slot corner inside that he's going to be able to slip inside of him and, and, and get by him, you know, and things like that. But as far as outside, I think that's kind of out. But I feel like he boosted his stock. You know, um, you know, one thing that um, someone else told me is scout scout the integrity of the player. And I was like, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, look, on Wednesday, Amari Rogers stayed on the field and was on the field for another hour on the jugs machine by himself, not doing it for the cameras. Maybe he was, whatever, but he was there by himself working after we had a really good practice. And for me, that just shows that a guy is either he did something wrong in that game or that's just part of his routine where he just wants to get better. Um, so I was really impressed with that. You know, in the game, he scored a two-point conversion. He's a kick returner. He, Like I said, he was getting open. You know, I think he scored a touchdown in this game too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so so like he did a bunch of things in the game that kind of refuted the, the argument that I got about, you know, hey, this guy's not a gamer. Maybe he's a practice player. So, I mean, it, it was interesting. Like I said, I can see him as a fit, as a third receiver somewhere, as a, you know, a slot guy. Like, you know, no matter where he goes, he's probably going to be really good because there's not many slot corners, I think, that can really match up with him. Just because, in terms of short area quickness and stuff like that, he's just going to keep working. And he has to learn that in the NFL, you can get your release, but those guys are going to be right on your hip. If those college guys are right on your hip, those, those, those NFL defenders are not going anywhere. So that's just the part that I want to see him shore up. He really boosted his stock this week. I think that he pushed himself into the second round this week. Yeah. So it's funny that you said that he looks like a, a smaller Debo. Uh, is it because of that? Like, he, he he's kind of built like a running back a little right. bit, isn't he? Hey, he's got like, that like he's got that lower body, like the you know the the you know like right. that's what I look like with Debo. Like Debo's a little Debo's got junk in the trunk. Like that's right. what it kind of looked like, you know, with 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 Amari, right? You know, and right. and and that's what I was, you know, when he ran that, I get like flashbacks when I see that Debo sweep. I'm like, and then I look, I'm like, if I blink my eyes, I would have been like, oh, there's Debo. That that's what I mean, like when it comes to profiling like that. I hear you, man. I'm glad I got my 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 first TikTok. Uh, my, my my first type my, my first TikTok is gonna, is gonna be Jay saying that Amari Amari Rogers got junk in his trunk. So I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that, dude. Um, so you, you know what's funny about that though? Like, I'm curious to see like if any team is is interested in converting him to a running back. You know what I mean? Like, so some versatile type of running back. And if anybody, if any, if anybody has that built to do it when it comes to these wide receivers. He's one of those guys Uh, because if he's not consistently separating against corners, maybe he'll be able to, you know, consistently separate in zone and against linebackers and safeties and all that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting. Um, But yeah, uh, so he led the nation in, 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 in slot receptions. Uh, He was second in the country in yards per run from the slot Uh, right ahead of Kadarius, Tony. Um, but you can kind of tell that the routes that they were making him run at the senior ball, like even in the one-on-ones, uh, they were kind of short and intermediate routes. Like, like they weren't making him run the same routes as these other guys, um, which was interesting. And remember when we remember when we were talking about um, about uh, Demetric Felton, they were making him run everything. 
Like he was running deep. He was running all that, which was that's why he was super impressive to me. And I was like, this dude's a running back. What? I'm, so I'm glad you, you you guys can tell like who I'm a fan of here. <laughs> right. No, but I'm I'm glad you brought that up because there was a lot of discussion about that too. It's like you know um, you know sometimes on defense, you know, guys who are pass rushers put their hand in the dirt, like you've got them covering people. And at, my, and at some point it's like, well, are you guys trying to lower his stock? Like, are you, are, you know, like, why are you, why do you feel like you need to put him in a position that he's not comfortable in? Right. It's not to teach the senior bowl, like the senior bowl practices aren't to teach it's to showcase. Right. You're not trying to learn there. Like, I mean, you're trying to refine and maybe you'll pick up something while you're there, but you're not there to try to break down what it is that you do and then go do something else. Like, a guy like like if Nick Bosa is at the senior bowl, you're not going to say drop him in the coverage. Like, I don't understand that sort of like thought process. Are you putting this person in harm's way on purpose or is it something that you're trying to help them with? And that was an interesting discussion amongst the people about like, man, you're lowering his stock because you're putting him in a position. And you're putting it on film that he can't cover. And it's like, man, like, you know, you never think of it that way. And it, it was really interesting to hear people say that. Right, right. If only the Jets saw that in Jamal Adams. Uh, beforehand, and 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 the oh, Seahawks. Oh, you got how many picks did they give you? How many picks did they give you? You did all right. We did fine. <laughs> uh, I, I meant I meant the Seahawks. The Seahawks didn't know. That's what I meant to say. Um, but yeah, no, I think he he could be a solid like if they keep him at receiver, whatever team. I think he could be a solid slot wide receiver, like you said, with some run after the catchability. Um, so you know, I th- I see him uh, and Kadarius Tony in in a similar light. I think Tony is the more explosive of the two. Um, and you know, I kind of see, you know, you know, who Amari Rogers reminds me a little bit of like, like Doug Baldwin, like, like, like he's like a poor man's Doug Baldwin type of thing. Right. Cause Doug Baldwin was like, what was he like a sixth rounder, seventh rounder or something like that? Yeah. I thought he was undrafted actually. Maybe too, he was undrafted. Was actually. Like no, no, yeah. I think you're right. He was undrafted. He was undrafted. You're right. Um, so yeah, it's like, that's kind of who he reminds me of, you know, similar build, you know what I mean? Um, but another guy, like I, I want to just like mention real quick. Oh, oh, by the way, Joe, did you have anything to mention about Amari? I'm sorry. No, not really. I haven't, like I said, I haven't dug into these guys. I don't really. Amari okay, was like good. the only guy I didn't really know much about. So yeah, the only guy for this part. <laughs> the only guy I wanted to mention uh, was uh, a Dwayne Eskridge. Did you see anything out of him at all? Um, well, talk about a guy who's getting himself open. It looked like he couldn't be covered. Okay, okay, and, and I was I was super curious to know what he looked like because this dude, he, like, if you look at his stats, he was third uh, in college, like over, like. Usually when you look at the, the top uh, wide receivers, right, you have to go and say like, okay, run, let, let me see the guys who ran at least a minimum of like 100 routes or something, or like, you know, minimum of like 50 targets. With no filter at all, Dwayne Eskridge was third in college in yards per route run. Almost five yards per route run. He caught 34 balls. He, listen to this. He caught 34 balls for 786 yards. He's extremely fast. Um, and, and like, he's that dude, man, who, and he has like four, three speed. And so like, he's a guy who can get, you know, depending on the team, the compliment, a wide receiver. Uh, and you never know, man, some of these guys, depending on the system they get into, they, they can be very valuable. So he's just a name, you know, to, to keep an eye on, because like you said, you know, and I was watching some of the film, man, like this dude just runs past people, man, the safeties, they know that know he's coming it doesn't matter. Um, they try to double cover him. Sometimes it doesn't matter. And he's getting yeah. open for those touchdowns. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up because when I was, you know, people were asking me, you know, it's so, it's so intimidating, right? You're standing in front of somebody who's like, well, who are your guys? What did you think? And you're like, do I even say anything? Because I'm probably going to embarrass myself and everything as well. But, you know, most of the time when I was talking receivers, because that's what I love to, to, to watch, 
he came up. Eskridge was up, man. And then, you know, they were just like, look, man, go back and look at look at his reps. And my goodness, man, it, it's all there for you. And he has the makings of somebody that we were just like, man, nobody had an eye on this kid. Nobody, you know, nobody was thinking, you know, about this kid at all. So it'll be really interesting to see where he lands. If he lands in a f- high-flying offense where, you know, he can just get in there and just, you know, immediately step right in and, and, and contribute – Man, I, 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 he could really, really be a steal. So, like, in rookie dynasty drafts, like, you know, keeping my eye out just to make sure his stock doesn't go up. But that's always the guy that I'm going to swing on probably at the end of a third, depending on how big your dynasty draft is. End of the third, early fourth, something like that. This could be a steal, man. It really could. 100%, man. Um, so, yeah, man. So, I think that's pretty much it. We wanted to cover just a few guys from the Senior Bowl. These are guys who we think that, you know, who, who Jay at least – you know, things that, you know, improve their stock. Um, you know, these were guys that might've been going day three. Some of them might have moved into day two, uh, into that second round. Um, so we'll see how it works out, but Hey, it's still February. You know, the Super Bowl is this Sunday. We still have it is really it? like, uh, it's this Sunday, bro. <laughs> is this Sunday? Um, so yeah, so we still, you know, there's a lot to go. We still got a few months away from the NFL draft. So there's a lot still to go. Um, is there a combine this year or have they decided no, no combine? So that's, it's weird, right? So that's what I said too. They're not doing it, but I think there's supposed to be some sort of pro days depending on the, 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 the state that, you know, the, um, you know, because all right, real, real quick, you know, went down to mobile, right. You know, you have your reservations when you first get there, it's much different in terms of COVID, right? Like I walked up to a place that was like a super spreader, not one mask in sight talking about this place was packed to the brim, there was a band. There's people spitting on people's back ahead, spitting into people's mouths. And I looked and we were supposed to, you know, link up with some pretty important people there. And, you know, me and my group were wearing masks. And I was like, I'm not going in there because people are looking at us like we have three heads. Right. And that's what I mean by like state regulations. Like I spoke to a, a player that, that I talked to, you know, on the 49ers all the time. And he said, they're actually having that. <laughs> the senior bowl he meant. And I'm just right, like, yeah, right. he's like, Alabama, bro. Like, I can't even like, and I was just like, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, you know, so it depends on the state, you know, if the state's a little bit looser with it, they'll, they'll do it. I have to say this though, as much as I just talked about that, Dave Rogers, Jim Nagy, they did a phenomenal job um, with, you know, packing the stadium out as best they could socially distance with all the COVID tests and everything. They did an incredible job. I think they had maybe like one positive test while they were down there or something like that. And that right there with all the people in town from different places of the country for that to happen, they did a great job, man. Props to them. And thank you for all the free Reese's. It was incredible, man. <laughs> I love, I love Reese's. You, yes. You still, yes. You still have some or, or, or no, no, no. I crushed done. all of them, but I it's will say done. that the, the, the biggest thrill for me was I got to meet the Reese's mascot whose name is Cuppy. And Cuppy? I took a picture with him. Yeah. Cuppy. So he, essentially <laughs> what he is, is he's this big Reese's rapper he's with a the cup eye. on his head. Yeah. And he has eyes and stuff. He was in with there the talking. Yellow? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know, it, it was just fun, man. Honestly, the whole Reese's thing is so cool. Like, you know, like, all right. So right after the game, Flores, they win. They dump the they dumped the Reese's on him. Like, it, it was just a good time. Like, honestly, amidst all of the craziness that's going on in the world with this pandemic, it felt like for a little while, Mobile felt like it was normal and it was fun, man. Like, we were there with masks and everything. But, you know, you, you have to give um, respect to Dave and those guys and, and Jim Nagy for what they did this week, man. It was incredible. So put this up in the face of all of this and have it go successfully, man. That's Hands, hats off, man. Hats off. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jay. 
for joining us today um, for, from your busy schedule. So we, we appreciate that. Thank you for bringing that insight no. from the Senior Bowl. Uh, Joe, uh, appreciate you bringing the, those experiences from a Super Bowl media. That I can uh, that's, that's, the, uh, the media that, video. <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty dope, dude. Thank you I'll for that. For that. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. So uh, when do you have uh, are your credentials up until like Friday? Is that when it's when it's done? I've got it till the Super Bowl starts. So it's amazing. After tomorrow, there's no more media availability for um, Tampa Bay or Kansas City players. Uh, There there is some opportunity with like NFL Network people and stuff like that. So I could get into that and ask them some questions. Joey, make sure make sure you ask questions about the barber. (laughs) Yes, the key. That's the story. What a story. Keep... To Patrick Mahomes is two seats away from being a close contact before the biggest game of the year. Good gracious. Would, would the NFL would the NFL not let the Super Bowl happen if Patrick Mahomes was on the COVID list? <laughs> oh, they would. I, I, I don't know. They, they, I don't know if they would stop that. It, it's tough, though, because, like, I, I don't know how they could continue, like, doing promos like Chad Henney versus Tom Brady. <laughs> but what's really interesting to me when I think about the haircut thing is think about like that commercial with Patrick Mahomes where they're all getting like the Mahomes haircut. I think of like that guy, like giving right. everybody, I think it's like, <laughs> he's the one who had COVID. Or Daniel Kilgore. He's halfway through a haircut and they had, they, they, they ripped the barber out. Like they throw him <laughs> out the club. Like it was like, and then if you guys get a chance, go, go on his Twitter, Daniel Kilgore, 40, 49, a legend. His, his um profile picture is now him with a half haircut. It's hilarious. He, he completely yeah, so leaned funny. into it. That was great. It's so funny, man. <laughs> All right. So before we go, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. I want to know Super Bowl predictions. Jay, you go first. Who do you have? Man, how do you bet against the Chiefs? I mean, just how? I mean, I, I understand that. If, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, it oh is. by the way, by the way, Jay, I also need a score. Oh, okay. I mean, it, look, how do you bet against either of these guys? Right. That's a great point. Like, how do you bet against Brady? How do you bet against them? I just, I. The Chiefs are too much, man. Like you just, it's, it's, it always feels like when you have them, you know, for a little while, the levy breaks eventually. Ask a 49er fan, trust me. You can only hold them down for a little while before the levy breaks, man. And, and if we point to the first matchup, the Chiefs were toying with them in the first half, man. What it, what it, uh, to Tyreek had like a buck 75 in the first quarter or something like that. Like if you mm-hmm. played them that week, you won your week, like in the first quarter, like it was incredible. But it's, um, it's interesting, man. You know, um, for Tom Brady to be in this game, after leaving, you know, the Patriots, he has as many NFC championships as Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees in his first year. The game's played in Tampa. Like, it all lines up, man. Like, I don't understand how you can bet against either of these guys, but I'm going to go with, you know, what I know. And I, what I know is that this this offense just can't be stopped. The only way this offense is stopped is if they're just they're dropping passes or anything like that. Like, against the Bills, realistically, the Chiefs never punted in that game. Like, they never looked like they were ever going to give the ball up. And I don't suspect that, you know, while the Bucks' defense is good, they're just not tested vertically. And I think that they're going to they, – the, what the Chiefs do is they test you and they take you all the way to your last, you know, straw with your defense. And I just have to believe in that. The score that I'm going to run with is, um, is going to be 31-28, something like that. It's going to come down to the final drive. Um, but give me the Chiefs um, pulling off uh, the win in Tampa. And also, side note, the NFL is kind of weak for not letting the Tampa, the Tampa Bay Bucks um, fire off their cannons in their own stadium after a touchdown. It's like, listen, man, they did all the work to be the first team to make the Super Bowl in their stadium. Let them do whatever the heck they want. But, hey, that's a whole other podcast for another day. 31-28, Chiefs. Okay, okay. Um, I'm a Tom Brady fan, as we know. <laughs> but look, let me let me explain a little bit without just leaning on Tom Brady's back to where okay, so 
My score, I'm thinking that's a really that's a really nice it's a really nice euphemism that you just gave Joe. What's that? I'm gonna talk about Tom Brady without leaning on his back. That's a really nice euphemism for something else that uh, is more for an R-rated podcast, but that's fine. Go ahead. Go oh jeez. Sorry, I just had to set that up for you. So anyway, I think Tampa is going to score on 34. I'm going to put I'm going to put uh, Kansas City in the late 20s, like maybe 28 or something. But here's the thing: that defensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is I I, I think is what's going to win them this game. So no Eric Fisher at left tackle. And I know they're going to try to expose that. They're going to use Vitavea, who's been pretty good in the middle. Um, and now he's got an extra week to get healthier. And Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaquille Barrett on the outside. I think the way you get Mahomes and the way you get this Chiefs offense is you have to jam guys like Kelsey and Hill at the line, give that extra time just to get to Mahomes and force him into a throw and bad coverage. And I think with Eric Fisher out, that's doable. You know, it's, it's not going to be doable for the whole game, obviously. He's still Patrick Mahomes. This is still an Andy Reid offense. They'll find ways to get the ball down the field. They'll find ways to get it done. But um, when it comes to Tom Brady being composed in a playoff game, even that game against the Eagles where they lost, Tom Brady still threw for, what was it, like 400, 500 passing yards? Like, he can get it done in those big games. So I, I think it's going to be it's going to come down to the Chiefs offensive line and the Tampa Bay defensive line, which, by the way, is something Bruce Arian said and um, also something that Andy Reid mentioned in his conference that it's going to be like everybody's talking about the quarterbacks, but what they're focusing on is that offensive line versus defensive line on both sides, the Tampa Bay offense, the Chiefs defense. So it, it, I think that's going to play a huge factor. And if they can get enough pressure on Mahomes, then I think Tampa Bay can come out with a win, and that's what I'm predicting. What's the score? I mentioned it earlier, like 34, 28. I, I think like what it. the it's gonna it's gonna look a lot more like Tampa Bay has a big enough lead, just because uh, Kansas City is gonna have to go for those touchdowns late and not go for the field goals. So they, I, I'm guessing they're gonna have opportunities to get field goals, but they're gonna keep pushing for that touchdown. So it's gonna cool. look larger deficit than it actually is. Well, I, I love the the explanations that you guys gave uh, for, for for your situations. I'm gonna go 27-21 Chiefs, um, and that's all I'm gonna say. I think Chiefs win, um, and I'm not gonna go any further than that. I'm gonna end this podcast right now, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, anybody who, who's listening, if anybody's still left, and if you are, I'm surprised. Uh, but thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, I'm Upperhand Fantasy on Instagram, Joe fantasy.football.analyst on Instagram. And Jay, should we point to your Twitter? Yeah, I would say Twitter. You know, my Instagram is more for just, you know, normal pictures. I, I put content in my stories, but, you know, follow me on yeah. Twitter at Jason Aponte2103. Um, you know, right now everything's kind of 49er-centric, but I, I try to talk about everybody else. So, I mean, anybody wants to pop in there and talk football with me, that's what I'm here for. So, yeah, Twitter's probably the best way to follow me. All of you. Yeah, there we go. Later, guys. Later. See you.